Friends, let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6 as we conclude our series in this epistle. Um, As we've been thinking and talking about money and wealth, I'm struck by the fact that Scripture really has a nuanced and imaginative view of money and wealth in the Christian life. I think we'll always be tempted to couch uh, things in one extreme or another to make our application very simple, but, but our Bibles won't go there for us. I mean, if all we had in our Bibles about money was 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, which says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, then our application this morning is very simple. Run. Run away. Money is bad. Avoid it. If you have it, give it away. If you earn it, earn less. Run. Get away from money. But if all we had in our Bibles was 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, which says, Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, then we have a very different simple application. Come. Take what you can, earn what you can, enjoy what you can, come, this is from God. Well, our section today, the verses that we're about to read, are going to help us navigate this very complex course. It's going to to show us this nuanced picture, and truly, we are going to see in Scripture what the road to wealth really is. I'm going to read for us from 1 Timothy, starting in verse 17. Hear now God's word. As for the rich in this present age, charge them them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to grasp a hold of that which is truly life. We want to be saved, to sin no more with respect to money and wealth. And your spirit will begin to animate those very things in our hearts and in our hands. We pray that you would come this morning and teach us, we ask in your name. Amen. We saw in this letter that Paul is now turning to address a certain group of people. He labors, he labels them the rich in this present age. And I think it's, it's first important to identify who those people are. So we know who in this room Paul is talking to and who he's not, right? Who is this directed towards? Because anytime any of us hear the word rich, we typically look behind us to, to find somebody else. None of us really thinks about ourselves as wealthy or rich. All of us know somebody who's richer than we are. But we are, you and I, the rich of this present age. Stacked against this context in which Paul is writing, in which the majority of the first century world lived from hand to mouth, we are the rich in this present age. Stacked against the 21st century, the global landscape of humanity in which half of all human beings live on $2.50 or less a day, you and I are the rich of this present age. 
if you make the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, then you are among the elite 7.8% top earners in this country. That means when six and a half billion people in the world get up and ready themselves for work and they look up the economic scale and ladder of earning power, they see you. We are the rich of this present age. If we know where the next meal is coming from, if we sleep most nights with a roof over our head, if we can have access to clean drinking water, then we are among the upper crust of this world. We are the rich in this present age. So whether we thought about ourselves as wealthy and rich or not, we are. And Paul's teaching this morning lands on every single person in this room. So what do we do with it? How do we live? How does our faith intersect with our wealth? Far from telling us to run from it and flee wealth, Paul charts a course forward to pursue it. Paul is going to give us the road to wealth for us as believers to follow, and he's going to do it in three simple steps. You get these three steps, and you will know how to be wealthy in the Christian life. Let's hear them. Step one, walk humbly. This comes to us in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. The the material riches we do possess now are ever so fragile. They're temporary and uncertain. You know, I confessed to you earlier, previously, that, that I deeply struggle with the love of money. And I don't love money for what it can buy per se. I love it for the comfort and the security that having it and growing it, it brings me. And this morning in this text, the Holy Spirit puts his finger right on that seam in my heart. None of us in this room are going to say this out loud, but all of us have hopes for our money. All of us hope that money will insulate us from bad things that can happen. All all of us hope that money and wealth will ensure a certain future for us and for our children. Some of us, we hope that money will project a certain image about ourselves or it will attract us to other people or we hope that money will satisfy deep cravings that we have. All of us have deep hopes for our money. It's as if we're placing the weight of our hopes and dreams on a thing that Paul is saying, stop. It cannot possibly bear any of it. It's like in our Christian lives, we we have built our Christian lives, a modest home on the rock of God's word, and now we've built this playhouse off the side on the sinking sand of the uncertainty of riches, and we're tempted more and more to take bigger and bigger pieces of furniture of our hopes and dreams out of the house and into the playroom. And Paul is saying, listen to me, it will not bear any of that weight. Paul slights riches and wealth when he says, the rich in this present age. In other words, with respect to the eternal timeline that all of us will live, whatever wealth we hold now, it's a blip. It's a minute. It's an afterthought. Moreover, the text says that it's very uncertain. The uncertainty of riches, even in our short and momentary lives, riches, they come and go. We wake up one morning in the haves and the next in the have-nots. Step one, 
on the road to wealth is to get reoriented around God and who he is. God is God. Human beings are human beings. The way to walk humbly is to place the entire weight of our hopes and our dreams on God alone. Step two, receive joyfully. Now here comes the fiscal curveball for us because some of us, we've already jumped from verse 17a to verse 18. We heard to the rich in this present age, don't be haughty. And then we skipped ahead to here, be generous and ready to share. We understand that that's coming, but don't you dare finish God's sentences for him. You can try that junk with your spouse, but don't bring that up in here for the sermon. Verse 17b says, we are to set our hope not on riches, but listen to this, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Let the weight of that sink in just for a moment. Because we will never, ever learn how to live wealthy Christian lives if we cannot hear what the Spirit is saying to us in this verse. A a very two-dimensional view of wealth in the Christian life says money is bad, we should avoid it. There are some in this Ephesian church plant, they're teaching that exact same thing. We already heard about it in chapter 4, verse 3. Some forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created. Paul is adamant to counter this twice. He says, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And again, in our passage, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, I wonder if that's the kind of God you serve, if that's the God you walk with and worship, the kind of God who provides us with everything to enjoy. I want to test that this morning by painting for us a very dense theological scenario. Okay, you ready for this to put your thinking caps on and answer the question I'm about to give you? Imagine this. You're out running errands. You're done 20 minutes early. You reach between your car seats and you find a dollar that you didn't know you had. All the while, you are passing Krispy Kreme that just turned on the hot now red light sign. Is that from God? Now there's a thousand variables to talk about. Put those aside right now. Is that from God? Is that always a base, materialistic, carnal desire or impulse? Or is there a world in which God might have actually orchestrated these events for us to enjoy? That's a profound question. It's funny, sounds like I'm being trite, but we might be trite. If we say no to that, if we say that our God is so small, he has no control over time, or money between seats, or where we are at any given moment. That sounds like the kind of God you meet with on Sunday morning, but he leaves you to fend for yourself the rest of the week because he has no control over what is happening in your life. And that is not the God that Paul describes in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The God of the Bible that Paul is talking about here holds the cosmos in his hand. 
There is not an unnoticed sparrow. There is not an undressed lily. There is not a single unnumbered hair on a head in the providence and the kindness of God. Is that the God you worship and enjoy forever and ever? Is it? I think sometimes when we sit in our accountability groups, we get in a rut on the questions that we ask each other, right? We've got certain questions. We sit down with another Christian and we ask, are you reading your Bible? Have you looked at pornography? Are you doodling during the sermon? Those are good questions that we can ask each other, especially the last one. Those are important. But I wonder about adding a few questions that will place another Christian in a world that worships a lavish God. What about asking another Christian, when's the last time you had an all-out belly laugh? When's the last time you walked out on your back porch and you saw a dazzling South Carolina sunset and you said, my God, this is beautiful. When's the last time you didn't shop for cheese in the dairy section of the grocery store and you got this two-pound yellow block for $3, but instead you went to the cheese section and you got something you couldn't pronounce and you enjoyed it and you gave thanks to God? When are you doing these things? Are we living in a First Timothy world where God richly provides us with everything to enjoy? Even as I, as I sit and I marvel at the goodness and the kindness and the generosity of God towards us, I think of a thousand things that I need to say right here, right? So we don't get ahead of ourselves and we don't go down the road of health and wealth and excess that I'm afraid that we might do. I'm not going to say any of that this morning. I'm going to press in with Matthew 7, verse 11, which says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, no offense, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, know how to give good gifts to those who ask him? Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do not be more spiritual than God. We're looking up in the air for a pie in the sky when we die by and by, and God is telling us in 1 Timothy 6, look around you. I have richly provided you with a world to enjoy and to receive and to give thanks to me for. That's the kind of God we serve. Step three, live richly. The road to wealth, walk humbly, receive joyfully. Now live richly, verses 18 and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You've just watched your heavenly Father do all of these things, right? You've watched a God be lavish with what he has to give to you. You've watched a heavenly Father not spare his own son, but freely give him up for us all. You've watched him graciously give us all things. You've watched him know how to give good gifts to his children. You've watched him richly provide us with everything to enjoy. If you've seen this, if you've experienced this, if you believe this kind of gospel, turn around and give it. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. In other words, be like God. You watch God do these things. You watch him be lavish. 
Now turn around and do the same thing. Take your time, take your money, take your energy, take your family, take your house, take your car, take your life, take your 401k and turn and be generous with these very things because you'll notice that the road to wealth in the Christian life exactly mirrors the gospel that God gives us. When we walk humbly, we walk a life of repentance falling down on our faces before a father. When we receive joyfully, we live a life in faith. We receive the good news of the gospel that God has given us. And when we live richly, all of that is simply a response of the lavishness of God that overflows a cup that spills out around to the people around us. We say all this about what it means to live richly because really a a line is being drawn in the sand here, even in the Christian life, even as, as we as Christians think about how we experience wealth in our life. As the rich in this present age, we face a counterintuitive conundrum here with respect to our money and our wealth. The more we grasp, The more we hoard, the more we hide what we have, the poorer we become. Think about it. If our net worth is the sum of uncertain riches that will disappear or disappoint in an instant, friends, we are poor indeed. But the gospel points us to another way in verse 19 where radical generosity, it becomes a means of storing treasure. Where laboring for the good of another person becomes a means of building a sound foundation. Where loosening our hands on what we have and what we hold on to lets us grab with white knuckles to that which is truly life. That's what we want. That's the kind of wealth we want to build and grow and experience and enjoy as God's church. And we've spent a lot of time talking about money because Paul has spent a lot of time talking about money in 1 Timothy 6. And, and as we wind this whole thing down, this is kind of the part uh, of the end of the sermon series where I promise you that if you will just drop something in the offering plate, God will repay that to you and your business tenfold, right? Or some such nonsense. I'm not going to say any of that. Because the road to wealth might cost some of us more than we could ever imagine. It might. And I don't know in God's providence the designs that he has for you and for your wealth but I can't improve upon the words of a Dutch Christian named Corrie Tenboom. You'll remember that she lived in the Netherlands during the Nazi occupation and that she hid Jews from the Nazi, but ultimately she was discovered. And Corrie and her sister and her father, her only living family members, were thrown in a concentration camp, and her sister and her father died, and Corrie had absolutely nothing. As she reflects on this idea that resonates so much with 1 Timothy chapter 6 and the generosity that we give that is a response of worship to our God, she says this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have put in God's hand, that I still possess. Let me pray for us. Father, anything that we could ever want to possess, you have. It's in your hands. 
Let us be a people that responds to this gospel. Let us pursue this kind of wealth radically, storing up a treasure in heaven, laying down a foundation, grabbing a hold of that which is truly life. That means enjoying this good creation. It means walking humbly, and it means living richly and generously with those around us. You can do that in our midst by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.